Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex from BTN.com. I want to welcome you into another football-focused edition of the Take 10 Podcast. Football focus is what we call the episodes each week during the college football season where we bring in a national writer to give their perspective, not only on Big Ten football, but of the national college football picture as well. And this week, and this should come as no surprise if you've been listening to previous episodes this year on the Take 10 Podcast, this week we're bringing in another writer from The Athletic. The Athletic, the uh, online subscription-based sports website that is dominating sports coverage lately. We have another one of their writers on this week for their perspective on, the, the uh, like I said, the national college football picture and Big Ten as well. And that writer is Max Olson. He covers uh, college football nationally for The Athletic. And just like his colleagues, Chantel Jennings, Brian Hamilton, we had on uh, the previous two weeks, he had a lot of great things to say, a lot of cool insight as we approach one of the biggest Big Ten matchups of the season between Ohio State and Penn State. And a big weekend nationally is waiting us as well. So we definitely got into all the marquee matchups coming up, broke down what happened this past weekend as well, and we got into what he writes about weekly for The Athletic, which is stop rate, a defensive metric that measures the, as it sounds shockingly, the rate of stops a team produces and ranks them 1 through 130 or however many college football teams there are. So definitely want to get into his weekly stop rate column as well, brings a unique wrinkle to uh, how we evaluate college football defenses and teams in general. So we got into that and much more coming up here in our interview with Max Olson. Beyond that, we also had a discussion with Harold Shelton. We do a weekly segment called Stathead where we dive into the numbers, both past and present for Big Ten football. We took a look at what happened this past weekend, especially the Iowa-Wisconsin game. And next weekend with the aforementioned Ohio State-Penn State matchup in Happy Valley. So plenty to talk about with Harold. Went about 20 minutes with him, which is... uh, a little longer than we usually go, but it was definitely packed with a lot of useful information. So stay tuned for this segment with Harold after my interview with Max Olson. All right, before we get to the interview with Max, just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to the Take 10 Podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, Big Ten Network's YouTube channel. That's on YouTube where all of the Take 10 Podcast episodes are hosted in a playlist. So subscribe to YouTube, uh, Big Ten Network channel for all our great highlights, all our great content, and you can find the Take 10 Podcast there as well. Definitely subscribe if you're listening on SoundCloud and leave a rating and a review if you like the show. Always appreciate that feedback. All right, so now we'll get into our first interview of this week's episode of the Take 10 Podcast. Like I said at the top, it's with The Athletic's Max Olson, and that interview starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by a national college football writer for The Athletic. He's a University of Nebraska grad, and you can follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Olson. It's Max Olson. Max, welcome. How's it going today? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Max, you're the fourth weekly guest I've had on so far this football season, and three out of those four guests have come from The Athletics. So congratulations <laughs> to you guys on all your continued growth. And like, I'm pretty sure I work for The Athletic now, and I just don't know it yet. So be sure to let me know if, if you guys hire <laughs> yeah, me. The, uh... How about this, you know, little world takeover we're, we're attempting here? Uh, no, I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate you supporting the uh, the site. And, and I've been with them for a year now, covering college football. And, and it's been a lot of fun working with, you know, Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman and those guys to uh, to kind of get this thing rolling here. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we definitely enjoy having you guys on. You're following up this season, Brian Hamilton and Chantel Jennings. So no pressure. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, two of our absolute best writers. So uh, you, you, your, your listeners here are uh, – I feel bad for him, but we'll try and get through it. All right. Sounds good. And while I have you on, uh, let's jump right into it and and get into what was a weird weekend overall in college football. And we'll actually start in the Big Ten, which is relatively tame compared to what went down nationally. Um, So I'll just start with some initial impressions, what I do with each guest, kind of get their, you know, 30,000-foot view of what went on. So just big picture out of the Big Ten, what were some initial impressions of what you saw out of this conference last weekend? You know, I think the thing that, that stood out to me, first of all, really impressed by just the continued growth of Dwayne Haskins. Um, I think you saw, obviously, they're playing Tulane, and, and, you know, that result's about what do you expect. But, uh, you know, he has really been lighting it up. Um, and I think he, he's, I, you know, if he can have a big game this weekend, I think you have to talk about him, you know, right there with Tua Tagovailoa as, as really the top of the heap in terms of Heisman contenders. And just really impressed by his accuracy and the way that Ohio State's passing offense continues to uh you know, to, to really 
be a huge step up from what we saw last year. Um, obviously, Wisconsin Iowa was uh, <laughs> that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, impressed by the way Wisconsin was able to hold on and, and put it away there. Um, in, in obviously a really tough road environment for any any team in the Big Ten. Um, and then you know Nebraska Michigan, man, uh, what a uh, what a statement that was from Michigan um, to, to hear Michigan players basically say after the game that uh, after the first drive, they knew Nebraska was going to quit and didn't want it. I mean, that just tells you the level of confidence that Michigan has right now. They were able to just run, you know, pound the rock and, and really uh, break Nebraska's confidence really quickly. Um, and, and obviously this, you know, this is, has been a tough run so far for Scott Frost and in, in getting started there. You know, having an injured quarterback has not helped, but, uh, you know, really just a very dominant statement by Michigan to, uh, to jump on Nebraska and, uh, you know, be up 39 nothing at halftime. That says a lot about just where Michigan's at as a program, and, and um, I, it definitely shows you how dangerous they can be. Yeah, and before we get to the national picture, I want to unpack some of those observations a little bit individually here. As I mentioned at the top, you're a Nebraska guy, so I imagine – you follow that program of a little, uh, you know, closer from a microscope than most. And, and the lead-up to this game was hyped up a bit because of the history between the programs and that split 1997 national title. But as you mentioned, the game itself was all Wolverines, and that 56-10 result left no doubt and, and set the Huskers to their first own three starts since 1945. So can you kind of get deeper into this rocky start? What are your thoughts on uh, how it, you know, projects, I guess, the image of the program, if, if it matters at all, just because Scott Fraud doesn't have his guys in yet? Is there anything to be concerned about long-term from what you've seen, or is this just a, a bumpy start that, you know, really never got uh, – with a program that never really got its footing under it because they were rained out week one and then had a tough opponent sure. week two, and the wheels just kind of fallen off since then? Yeah, it's it's been um, – I don't want to say it's been like a nightmare start, but it has been definitely um, the thing that Nebraska fans, uh, you know, probably – it, it, they didn't think it'd be this rough. I think you, you, in, in getting to visit them this spring and during fall camp, like I think the expectation was, you know, that they had a better talent than they showed last year at four and eight, and that they felt like this could be a six to eight win team, um, just based on, you know, getting that culture right, having a lot better um, kind of uh, situation there with that coaching staff with Scott Frost, who really understands, you know, what it takes to be successful in Nebraska, and, and like I said, they felt like they had good players there and and i think that the, the way this thing has started is is just you couldn't draw it up any worse i mean you you lose that akron game um at the at the, at the start which i think would have been important for adrian martinez and their offense to really kind of work through the kinks early on and kind of get comfortable and then you go in and play a, a you know a, a good colorado team an experienced colorado team that's that's um you know got its act together and you lose a tight game you lose adrian martinez uh <laughs> during that game and and then Troy was, you know, I, I, I'd spent some time with Troy. I wasn't surprised that that, that program, uh, you know, really impressed by Neil Brown and his staff and his players. Like, uh, really, what, what can you say? Like, Troy was better that day in Lincoln and deserved that one. And um, and then now you're, you're at 0-3 after losing to Michigan. And, and look, you, you knew the schedule was going to be really, really difficult for Scott Frost in his first year at Nebraska with the number of road games they play. They're playing at Michigan, at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, at Ohio State, at Iowa. I mean, that's a, that's that's brutal. And it's going to get a lot easier in 19, and you'd expect them to, to take a bigger step in, in 19. But, you know, it is surprising that this is now kind of looking, if you just go over that schedule, it is starting to look like a team that's, you know, now they're talking about trying to win three or four games instead of six, you know, and, and that's uh, a part of that is, is um, I'm sure, hard to swallow for Nebraska fans, but, uh, when you have a head coach that you believe in, uh, I'm sure that they need to just kind of understand that this is rock bottom and um, it, it's going to get better from here. And that uh, you know that, that if you give this staff time to bring in the players they need, that this thing will turn around. But you know, it's interesting. It, it is a lot similar to what you saw at UCF. The first year was tough, and the second year it really took off. I'm not saying they're going to do that in Lincoln, but um, you know, this is this is part of it. This is it's a rebuilding process, and it's going to take a lot longer time, I think, than maybe maybe the fan base probably thought. Yeah, and I tend to agree with our Fox colleague here, Joel Clad, who said if there's such a thing as Nebraska stock, buy it all now. And I agree with you that um, you know it's hard to replicate what's going to happen, what happened at C- at UCF, but the blueprints there, and I think they have the right guy. I don't think there's any reason for major concern, even sure. as unfortunate as these uh, first few weeks have been for Nebraska. So we'll keep it in the West now. And you mentioned the Wisconsin Iowa game; that was the marquee game of the weekend in the Big Ten. It was an entertaining game to watch. Uh, not a whole lot of offensive fireworks, but Wisconsin now is kind of in that early driver's seat in the West with the 28-17 victory. Alex Hornibrook kind of did what he was able to do in last year's Big Ten Championship game by leading a game-winning drive. So my question for you is, did Wisconsin show you enough by going into Kinnick Stadium, a tough environment, 
winning by 11 to to prove that they're kind of back in this national picture they have quite a bit of work to do still um you know to to prove that i guess they're back in the good graces of uh, a national media member like yourself <laughs> yeah you know i think obviously for, for that wisconsin team um you know to, to be able to bounce back from byu and and kind of get things right and go into this game and get a really clean performance from alex morningbrook for him to go 17 to 22 uh with 205 three touchdowns no picks i mean that's 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 all you can ask for a guy like that uh in a road environment and against a tough defense um so yeah it's a, it's a it's definitely a strong performance from wisconsin um you know a, a good effort from jonathan taylor and and look i think this team with that with that offensive line and with the pieces they have like there's no doubt they're their front runner in the west and i don't really know what you make of the rest of the west at this point but i think you have to look at wisconsin as the team that um it, it was going to get right after byu and, and get back to what they're doing and, and so uh yeah I, I think a nice statement uh, a step in the right direction definitely not a team that's a finished product by any means but um you know e- even if i was not ranked i mean that's a that's a quality opponent and that's a quality road win yeah i think iowa will if they take care of business go through this season for most of the second half of the season ranked in the top 25 if byu can stay in that top 25 the loss won't look nearly as bad maybe we're looking at wisconsin like we were in the preseason uh mm-hmm. before too long here so before we move on to the national picture just want to touch on that last topic uh that you actually brought up first and that was Dwayne haskins and the dominance that he's shown so far and you know we've seen basically a lot of qb uncertainty and switches at high profile schools including clemson and notre dame throughout the country but like you mentioned at the top one school there's been no such uncertainty as ohio state you know he's really brilliant completing passes 76 percent rate he's tossed 16 touchdowns just one pick and you know there's a couple ways i think of evaluating his performance so far they've played three pretty weak teams which Mm. can mean those numbers are a bit inflated but he's also been pulled very early in those games so those numbers you know would probably be even more ridiculous if he'd played the full 16 quarters that his team has, has played so far so how does he compare? I haven't seen much of Tua. I've seen his numbers, but just watching the Big Ten, I haven't, I haven't seen much of Tua at Alabama. Uh, he's obviously off to a similarly impressive start. How does he compare to Tua, and, and who else might be in that Heisman conversation with those two guys? Yeah, I, I think the guys in that conversation beyond those two, I, I think that Will Greer at West Virginia has, has been off to a really nice start, um, and that's a team that that's a top 15 team that I think is going to stay in the national picture here for a while. And I think Kyler Murray from Oklahoma um, has just been phenomenal as a as a dual threat guy um and and really carrying on what uh you know what he inherited from baker mayfield there and um so they've been a lot of fun to watch but but uh you know i think dwayne haskins i think has done everything right everything you'd want to see so far like you said video game numbers you know hitting 76 percent um 16 touchdowns one pick and and you know 54.5 points per game which is which is encouraging to see and yeah, the fact is the guy's only thrown three passes in the fourth quarter this year. So I think that's why the Penn State game is so fascinating as kind of a, a, a litmus test for where he's at because, you know, he hasn't really been put in that position yet uh, to have to win a game in the fourth quarter. I mean, they put TCU away in the third, um, and, and a lot of that was kind of thanks to turnovers from TCU and, um, you know, some great defense. But I, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how Haskins can handle Penn State. And, uh, you know, I just, I just, the, he has the pieces around him at receiver and at running back just like Tua, I, I think, to um, really set him up for success. And, you know, that that's a really good quarterback situation they've got there uh, in Columbus because I think Tate Martell, it's been good to see him get his reps and get a little experience. I think he's got a really bright future. But Haskins, you know, he's, he's waiting for this chance, and, and, man, he's really taking advantage. Yeah, and I love that stat that he's only thrown the three fourth-quarter passes. I didn't realize it was that few. That's remarkable. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. like you said, I don't, I don't anticipate it, uh, staying that low with – the upcoming trip to Happy Valley, but we'll see. Um, all right, I want to break it out nationally now, and I want you to get us up to speed, if you could, with kind of your elevator speech from the national picture from this last weekend for those who didn't get to watch what went down on, like we, we mentioned earlier, what was really a wacky weekend across the country. So what jumped out at you from week four across college football? You know, just, just the chaos at night was a lot of fun to watch. Um, you Obviously, you start that off with – Virginia Tech playing a road game at Old Dominion and losing, which the odds of that happening were just extremely slim. And what a, what an impressive performance from Old Dominion to win thirty nine, sorry, uh, forty nine thirty five with a backup quarterback in the game. Just really took it to Virginia Tech, put up twenty eight points in the fourth quarter, um, and and that's what we love about this sport. We we love that you know you you, you write that off as an, 
easy automatic win, but but every once in a while that you get that kind of Cinderella story of something crazy happening. And um, you know, we had a, a nice amount of upsets, I think, in the night schedule on Saturday that um, they were fun to watch. Kentucky had a surprisingly easy time taking down Mississippi State. Uh, you saw Texas Tech really make a really nice statement with a, a 41-17 win. Uh, at Oklahoma State um, in Stillwater, something they haven't done in a very long time. Um, and then, you know, you had a couple of really close calls. You had Oklahoma going to overtime with Army. Obviously, you had Wisconsin surviving that game late. And, and uh, you know, Arizona State gave Washington everything they had. So, uh, it, and, and then, of course, I mean, let, you know, last but not least, you got Stanford-Oregon, which was a game that, you know, seemed completely heading in Oregon's direction. They were about to make it, I think, 31-7 um, until a call was called back. And then, Suddenly, you know, you <laughs> suddenly it flips and Stanford catches up. Oregon fumbles when they should be kneeling, and you got overtime and you got a Stanford win. So it, it was just that, you know, it was. I felt like it was a little bit of a snoozer during the day, uh, week four, but a lot of fun at night, a, a lot of crazy stuff going on, and uh, just kind of a reminder that, that that that's one of the things that makes the sport great is just kind of the chaos that you don't anticipate from week to week. Yeah, what surprised you most was the Oklahoma. They were losing to Army, like you mentioned, Oregon blowing that game in what was nearly inconceivable fashion. I couldn't believe it, just kind of following on Twitter. Or Virginia <laughs> Tech losing to Old Dominion. And, and beyond that even, uh, beyond what surprised you most out of those three, what is the, I guess, national implication for two top ten teams in Stanford and Oklahoma as they you know, look to remain playoff contenders going forward? Yeah, you know, I, I think Old Dominion would be the most shocking, but man, that Army Oklahoma game was a lot of fun to follow just because, you know, it's, it's bizarre that this is the case in 2018, but that game was actually on pay per view, and so nobody could actually watch it. And so um, the fact that, that Army, uh, you know, was able to kind of put, put Oklahoma to the test and do what they did best, they had four drives that were like 10 minutes long that were, you know, 15 plus plays. Army did what they do best and really took you know, one of the top offenses in the country and, and kept them on the bench for, you know, for 45 minutes of the game. And so um, just so impressed by, by Jeff Monken and his staff and what they're able to do in Norman. Uh, and just a reminder that, that, that what, you know, why playing those triple option teams is, you know, such a nightmare. Um, what, Ryan, what was the other question? Yeah. Uh, I just want to know, like with Oklahoma and Stanford still being top 10 teams and Stanford now having a test at, with Notre Dame, did yeah. you know those results kind of impact how you project those two programs and their playoff aspirations going forward? Yeah, I mean, definitely impressed by Stanford. Uh, just just a really tough team. I, I think you saw in, in the way they were able to catch up that they've got um, some offensive firepower this year. And, and, and JJ or Sega Whiteside uh, has been a real playmaker for them at receiver. And it's not re- it's not just the Bryce Love show. And, and so I think that balance on offense uh, as Costello grows up at quarterback um it's been nice to see and yeah another another big one for them you know this week with notre dame and then you know oklahoma's got to play texas next week so uh just when you think that you know just when you kind of pat yourselves on the back and feel good about yourselves for a minute you got another big game coming up so um i I really like the stanford team i think they're really tough and i think they have a they have a really a a good shot against this notre dame team that that just made a change at quarterback and is still figuring things out a little bit and, uh, you know, Oklahoma, I think, will keep rolling. And I, and I think that game was probably an aberration. But, you know, suddenly Texas is a lot better. And, and I think that uh, that game in Dallas next weekend, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Just because Oklahoma wasn't on TV, that's why they didn't get up for it. We'll just go with that. Um, that's right. So I'll use the Notre Dame talk to kind of segue into a uh, discussion about Michigan. Because they've looked really impressive since their opening week lost to Notre Dame. Based on what you've seen out of the Irish and the Wolverines since that week one game, do you think this year could maybe be different for Michigan than the past few have been under Harbaugh, where they really beat up on inferior competition, and then once the big games come up, that's when historically under Harbaugh they've shrunk from that moment? Or, or have you not been able to tell just because of the quality of competition that Michigan has faced, and maybe you don't know enough about Notre Dame quite yet? Yeah, I, I think that's still hard to tell just because, like you said, um, Ultimately, you're going to be judged on how you play in those big games and not the ones you know, that they've handled the last couple of weeks here. Um, you know, I, I think the takeaway from the Notre Dame game, obviously, was there was this team that still had a good amount to figure out. I, I think that as expected, as I expected at least, you know, they, they still had to kind of figure out how they were going to best, you know, kind of shape that offense around Shea Patterson because, 
you know, that's a different dude now. That's a guy that wants to play a little bit more like Johnny Manziel and, and you know, scramble around and create. And uh, that, you know, so how do you kind of adjust his game and how do you adjust your game around him? And I think they're doing a better job of that. Obviously, against Nebraska, they just had to run the ball. That's all they had to do, and it was really, really, really easy. And um, but, but you know, just really impressed by that Michigan defense. Uh, obviously, we you know we talk all the time about Don Brown and what a genius he is, but just the playmakers they have, um, you know, across the field there. Uh, really impressed by them and the way that they were able to, you know, get after Nebraska. And uh, you know, I, I think they're they're taking steps in the right direction. And and obviously, you just want to know. You know, how's this going to show up against Wisconsin? How's it going to show up against Penn State and Ohio State? So, I mean, that's that's the you know that's what you're building towards, and I, I think the last few weeks they've done a nice job of of making that progress and uh, and taking those baby steps. And and man, we'll see when it's time for the big one. But um, I like where they're at. Yeah, and it's all speculation, like you said at this point. Uh, you know, we'll find out soon enough with Michigan as they'll face Wisconsin. Michigan State and Penn State back to back to back in a few weeks here, so we won't have to wait too much longer. And luckily, we don't have to wait at all really for a massive matchup of the Big Ten because number four Ohio State pays that visit to number nine Penn State this weekend and, and I want to dive uh-huh. deep into that in just a moment and uh, before we do that though I did want to put some of these Big Ten teams in context nationally with a method you use and write about for the athletic and that method is called stop rate and uh, it's a ranking system I really like because one it's simple and, and dummies like me can understand it but it also <laughs> helps give a good sense of defensive effectiveness in today's fast-paced college football so first off can you explain what stop rate is and how you started using it in a weekly column for the athletic yeah for sure so stop rate is is really really basic um it's it's to me i i I wanted to find a little bit different defensive metric to judge these teams because as you go conference to conference some are playing really high tempo some are playing a lot more plays than others um I, i think as as this as the offenses have evolved in college football over the last decade um, I think that yards per game doesn't really matter like it used to. And I think in some ways points per game doesn't necessarily tell you how effective your defense is. So um, stop rate is basically, it, it, it's simple enough. It's of all the drives that your defense plays, you know, what percentage of them are they able to get a stop? Are they able to get, uh, you know, either a turnover or a punt or a turnover on downs or miss field goal, you know, anything to avoid giving up points. And so, um, the, the stop rate standings that we do each week on the athletic are, are really just the, the, you know, all, all 130 teams nationally, just how do they compare in, in stop rate and, and how frequently they're getting a stop and getting off the field. And, and then also looking at points per drive, because I think points per drive is a, is a lot more kind of telling statistic at this point um, than points per game, just because of the way that the, you know, the big 10 plays at a different tempo than the big 12 and pack 12 and all that. So trying to find some way to give you a better sense of just who's been the most effective. And um, so, you know, right now, it's, as you'd expect, Alabama's near the top, Georgia's near the top, um, LSU's doing really well. The number one team in the Big Ten right now is Iowa. I've got them seventh this week in the Big Ten, or in the uh, stop rate standings. They're getting stops on, on 83% of their drives, only giving up 1.13 points per drive. So, um, you know, that's even after the Wisconsin game. They've done a really nice job of shutting teams down and uh, and getting off the field and giving their offense a chance to, to get out there and score some points. So, uh, I- Iowa's best in the big 10 at that right now minnesota's behind them at 81 percent um but you know it's it's one of those deals like i said as as this game kind of continues to change we need to try and figure out different ways to to look at it it's not some you know opponent adjusted super um you know data heavy stat it's just pretty basic are you getting the job done or not and um you know big 10 teams have have traditionally fared really well in that and uh i'm curious to see how it kind of continues to shake out and over the next month or so as you get more games under your belt then you kind of get a better sense of really who the best defenses in the country are yeah as the sample size moves on i'm I'm sure we'll like you said get a better idea of of some of those best defenses not only in the big 10 but across the country and i encourage everyone to check that out Uh, another piece i wanted to ask you about for uh you've written for the athletic is Uh about this four game and transfer trend that we've seen kind of start to take shape across college football the new rule was in place this year um, in college football, I want you to kind of explain not only the rule uh, with the four games and then redshirt strategy, but also kind of this this trend, like I said, of transferring. Especially if you know, as we saw at Oklahoma State just yesterday, uh, yeah. when when you don't, you know, maybe you don't get the playing time or the results you wanted, uh, you bolt for somewhere else. Yeah, so it's interesting. This hasn't really hit the Big Ten yet. It hasn't affected the Big Ten yet. I'm curious to see if over the next couple of days we see some more occurrences of this, but. You know that four-game redshirt rule. I think I think everybody was pretty excited about 
the implications of kind of how you can use that to your advantage for your team and, and trying to get freshmen on the field and, and, you know, kind of having more options for, for how you are flexible with your roster. And, um, so it's been, I think it's been a good deal for coaches and I think it's still, no matter what, I think it's still a net positive overall because it's good for players too. But, um, you know, what we're seeing this week is something that I think people had speculated about a little bit with Jalen Hurts and others, but we're, we're seeing it play out now a little bit. And that is that, you know, four games in, some of these players are saying, well, here's my, I, I have a, a chance to decide now, do I want to play out the rest of the season? Or if I have a red shirt year, uh, do I want to sit out the rest of this year, use it as a red shirt? and you know transfer somewhere else and so we've seen a few players uh like you said Jalen McCluskey uh the the senior receiver from Oklahoma State kind of the most prominent one so far but we've seen guys from you know Auburn and Arkansas and Oregon um and Georgia State and and a few others that uh have lost you know starter level guys some key guys um you know because of this deal and uh you know I'm I'm curious to see whether you know where these kids end up whether ultimately it ends up being a good choice or not but uh, it is a little bit surprising to see. Like in Oklahoma State's case, this is a guy who started 22 games. He's on the cover of their media guy. They took him to media days. You know, really a senior leader for them, and, and he felt like he wasn't getting the ball enough. And so he went to Mike Gundy on Monday morning and said, uh, I'm, I'm going to set up the rest of the season and leave. And so uh, you, you haven't seen a lot of that, um, and I'm curious to see kind of how coaches approach that with their players. But uh, I think a lot of it's been based on playing time so far, and that's obviously a, a tough thing to deal with when you're a head coach in the middle of – a crazy season, but, um, you know, curious to see how much this takes off, but I think it's something that we'll continue to see really over the next few years as this rule kind of gets implemented and kids figure out that, you know, after playing four games, they kind of have a choice there. Do you want to keep going or do you want to take a chance somewhere else? Yeah, definitely a fascinating thing to follow and continue to change kind of the evolving transfer landscape that started to really evolve several years back with the grad transfer rule that we've seen a lot of quarterbacks do. I know you wrote about that as well for The Athletic sure. over the summer. So both those uh, pieces you have written, not only the weekly column with stop rate, but the four-year or the four-game transfer rule, I think are good examples of what you can get on The Athletic, especially you know with the, the statistical analysis mixed in with you know, some of the uh, longer-form feature writing. So I definitely recommend subscribing to Max's work on there. Lots of good stuff for sure. And uh, now I want to look ahead to next week, week five in college football. And what really is the lightest slate I can remember since I worked at BTN in terms of volume of games in the Big Ten with mm-hmm. only only five. Luckily, that slate is kind of saved by the Penn State-Ohio State matchup, which is absolutely massive. So before we look at the national picture and get your insight in that regard, let's start with Ohio State-Penn State. we got two prolific offenses that are two of the top ten most efficient offenses in the country. I believe they're number one and two in scoring the country, led by quarterbacks. We talked about Dwayne Haskins and then Trace McSorley, who are the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. And they both have just a stupid amount of weapons at their disposal. So their defenses, I think, are more of a question mark, but their offenses, I think, are similarly explosive. What do you think differentiates these teams as they head for a clash on Saturday in Happy Valley? You know, I think the thing that has that really – you know, I've been really impressed by Penn State. Um, I, I think that – like we talked about the fact that Ohio State has really not had to play a, four, a close four quarter against anybody. Um, I think Penn State, the, the way that they had to um, hang on against Appalachian State and then the way they had to respond when they were at Illinois last week, I think I, I was impressed by just the way that they handled those situations by the way that, I, you know, obviously it helps when you have a senior quarterback um, leading the way and, and you have a lot more confidence in your ability to dig out of any hole when you're, when you're dealing with that. But I like that Penn State has had to be a little bit more battle-tested coming into this game. I, I like where they're at offensively, um, and you saw the explosion against Illinois when they got a little bit of pressure on them and, and they had to kind of figure out what to do. They, they really rose to the occasion. And so I've been impressed by the way Penn State's handled situations like this. And, and so I think that they have a – I really would be surprised if this game ends up being a blowout really any, uh, for, for either team. I, I think this is one of those games like we saw last year that's going to go four quarters and, and is going to be pretty wild. And obviously you're curious about um, – you know, how much losing Bosa is going to impact Ohio State um, and, and kind of their potential. But honestly, when you, when you watch Ohio State and you can, you know, you can quibble over the quality of competition, but, you know, Ohio State has looked to me like a playoff team. And so this is the week when you go out and, and prove that to everybody. And, um, you know, if, if Penn State's able to knock them off, I think you'd have to say the same thing about them, you know. So I think that this is one of those, you know, primetime clashes that uh, will go a long way towards deciding, 
you know, who has a chance to represent the Big Ten in the, in the Final Four at the end. And um, really just can't wait to see how it plays out. But like I said, I think it's going to be uh, – I don't know if it will be as high scoring it was last year, but uh, it, it definitely might be with the way these teams are throwing it around. Um, I, I just think it's going to be incredibly close. Have you ever been to a game at Penn State in Happy Valley? I've visited Penn State before, um, but I've never been to a game out there. And uh, I know it's going to be a whiteout. I know it's going to be a packed house. You know, you've got game day. you got all this. So in terms of just atmosphere and, and pressure on Ohio State, uh, it's going to be just uh, peak awesomeness, I'm sure. Yes, same. I've been to the campus, never been to a game. And the whiteout game is one that is on the bucket list that I definitely intend to get to at some point. Um, yeah, no doubt. All right, so moving on, we'll keep in the Big Ten and I just want to get your thoughts on the Northwestern program in the middle of what's been a really difficult season for them, especially with Michigan coming to Evanston this week on a roll, and then especially the really unfortunate news that they just dropped uh, yesterday with star running back Jeremy Larkin forced into an early retirement due to cervical stenosis. That's the spinal condition that makes football no longer really an option for him without putting his life on the line. So obviously a uh, wise move for him to step away as unfortunate as it was but just want to get your thoughts on, on that matchup coming up especially in the context of Northwestern really in the middle of a uh, unfortunate season yeah it's it's been a tough run for them and, and I think they're one of those teams that um, is just trying to you know kind of like we talked about with Nebraska at this point you're just trying to scratch and claw and find a way to get to six wins and uh, I, you know I, obviously a win this week would, would be a huge step forward in that but I just think that what we've seen from Michigan so far um, I, I you know I would expect Michigan to to kind of do similar to what we saw last week and, and, and be able to get off to a hot start there and really put a ton of pressure on Northwestern and, and I think that that's one thing you saw in that Nebraska game that really impressed me is, is when you're able to put those points up, um, they were really able to rush the passer on second and third down and really get after him. And, uh, and so I think if Michigan can, can match that start, it's going to be really tough for Northwestern, I think, to dig out of that hole. But, you know, really, uh, like you said, unfortunate for Northwestern. I hate to see them lose their running back like that. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a, it's been definitely a, a challenging year so far, especially when you start the way they did against Purdue. And, and so, um, Still a team that's got a lot to figure out. I think it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. But um, at the same time, that you know the quality of coaching they have, I imagine they're going to still be able to find a way to get up for this game and um, and try and give Michigan their best fight. Yeah, you don't wish that kind of injury or condition on anybody, but especially Jeremy Larkin. Yeah, meeting him uh, in person last month, dude is just like really outgoing, uh, really bubbly guy, fun to talk to, funny, engaging dude, and it's just I don't know, it really just sucks hearing that when I was kind of shocked when it came across my timeline yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. You, you hate that for the kid. And, and honestly, uh, I hope that fans you know, understand when it's a, a prognosis that serious that, um, you know, that, that he has no choice, but to give it up and, and that hopefully this is going to be the best for his long-term health to not, you know, put himself in, in, in danger like this, but I uh, just hope that he can, uh, you know, recover and, and get back to living a good life there. Yeah. Well said. And the last game I wanted to touch on before we moved on to the national picture is, that Nebraska and Purdue matchup coming up. And I know Nebraska, we can throw out all the stats that we want about how historic their 0-3 start is. Is it possible they go to 0-4 at Purdue visiting, especially after what we saw with Purdue? A result finally going their way last weekend after three heartbreakers. They got a win over a top 25 team in Boston College. How do you see this game playing out as uh, Purdue tries to get some revenge from last year's loss to the Huskers? Yeah, it's interesting. That was a, a really tight one last year that Nebraska pulled out at the last minute. And, you know, I, I saw that Scott Frost said something to the effect that they, you know, they see this one as a winnable game. And, and I know that they heard about that uh, up at Purdue. <laughs> I'm sure that uh, they are kind of looking their chops ready to, to, to really kind of, um, you know, light it up on Nebraska. And, and you know, that Purdue team that we saw against Boston College, I think, is about right. You know, this is this is a tough game, man. This, you know, it, it only you're only a couple turnovers away from from losing a game you should win. And I think that, uh, you know, I really like this Purdue offense. I like where they're at. You know, Rondell Moore, obviously, just incredible as a true freshman, and and, and what he's brought for them. And uh, you know, I thought they had a good chance to beat Northwestern. I thought they had a obviously a good chance to beat East, you know, Eastern Michigan, and and they hung in there with Missouri. So. I, they were due for a, a nice win like that against Boston College, and you know I would expect Purdue is is going to put it on Nebraska and and not really show any sympathy for you know the new head coach in the Big Ten, and um, you know this is I, you know I think it will be you know be close, um, 
if Adrian Martinez is, is healthier, then that gives him a lot better shot than it did last week when they had to pull him at halftime because he was getting beat up. But, uh, yeah, I would expect Purdue to win this. And, and uh, I think that Boston College game, I think, is a good reflection of the progress they're making. All right, Max, how about nationally? Looking at the schedule, there's some juicy ones on the on the slate. And Big Ten fans might have some extra viewing time at their disposal this weekend with only five Big Ten games going on. So what should we here in the Midwest and Big Ten fans across the country be watching for outside of this conference? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to be at the morning game uh, in, in Lubbock, West Virginia, Texas Tech, you know, number 12 versus number 25. Uh, really interesting test for the Mountaineers and Will Greer and David Sills, um, who've you know rolled to this point, had no trouble against Tennessee. They've um, you know really made it, I think, a really nice statement against Kansas State and really blew them out. And so uh, this is a good test for them on the road against a Texas Tech team that is is suddenly up now. They've won three in a row. Um, really a, a, a massive win for them against Oklahoma State, an upset win there. Um, so looking forward to that one. Um, you know, Tennessee Georgia is always going to be a fun one. Georgia's, I think, a 32-point favorite now or something, so I would expect that one to be a blowout probably. But, um, you know, I, I think Stanford-Notre Dame, like we hit on, um, that's a that, that's a big one, a big test for Stanford. Um, Notre Dame, I think, is, is the favorite in that one, and I'm curious to see, you know, how Ian Book and the rest of that offense is able to kind of carry out uh, the progress they made against Wake Forest, um, you know, and then I think another one that could be, you know, pretty, you know, I, I think BYU with Washington is going to be a lot of fun. And, and I think Ole Miss LSU could be pretty sneaky interesting. That Ole Miss defense is, is terrible, but they're able to score a lot of points. And, and LSU offensively is still trying to totally figure out, um, you know, kind of how, you know, they're playing incredible defense so far, but still trying to figure it out with Joe Burrow offensively, uh, how to be consistent in the passing game. So I think that that late night game, 8, 8 p.m. Central kickoff, I think that one can end up being a lot of fun. All right, sounds good. I can't believe it's already week five. It's flying by, and before you know it, we'll be... It's crazy, right? Yeah, before yeah, you know it, we'll no be doubt. doing the college football playoff rankings and, and getting into rivalry week and all that good stuff. So it's flying by. Uh, appreciate your insight, and I want to close out with a segment I do at the end of each show called the one big thing of the week, B1G thing, which is kind of something I like to highlight off the football field, maybe a cool moment or something interesting. It could be funny. Uh, it could be whatever. And, and I'll start with one that I really enjoyed, and I know a lot of Big Ten and football fans across the country enjoyed seeing as well. It was a gentleman by the name of Anthony Violi, an Ohio State uh, band alumni or alum from – I believe 80 years ago, he's 100 years old. Uh, when he got into the Ohio State band, it was only one year since the Script Ohio tradition had been formed. So he did the Script Ohio dotting the I, the tradition they do every week at Ohio State, and he did it uh, remarkably smoothly for an 100-year-old man, and he looked great, and it was just a really cool moment that we captured on BTN, and, and uh, it kind of took off virally across the country. Also a World War II veteran, so it was kind of a complete package of a heartwarming moment. So I don't know if you saw anything uh, across college football either this season or this past weekend in particular, but if you did, uh, we'd love to hear it. Boy, put me on the spot here. That was a good one. I did see that one. Um, you know, <laughs> and if you don't have one, I do have a backup that we can break down. Bring it well. on. I, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear it. I'd All right. Love to hear it. Did you see Michigan State's kicker, Matt Coglin on a fake field goal, taking the option pitch and scoring a touchdown? I don't think I've ever seen a kicker. Ooh. In a quarterback option, so it was Lewerke had had the hold. Uh, they ran the option, pitched it at the last second to Coglin, who who uh, dove in, and of course this is the Matt Coglin who did the slip and slide celebration, I believe uh, <laughs> two years ago for Michigan State. So we've got uh, a kicker who probably has as more iconic moments under his belt than most of Michigan State. That's awesome. You know, I think there's nothing more heartwarming. There's nothing we love to see more in college football. Um, than ridiculous props used to celebrate turnovers, right? And so it, that's the thing that's been fun for me to track over the course of the season here is, you know, obviously Miami and, and Alabama and all them set it off, but, uh, you know, more and more teams trying to find their way to get get a little bit of attention for how they're doing it. Really impressed by Oregon State bringing in a chainsaw for them. That, that that's, a, that's a really encouraging one. I saw another team that was doing, uh, uh, you know, I think it was Tulane was doing um, – like the uh, you know, like the like the like a big chain of beads around their <laughs> neck and stuff like that. Mardi Gras uh, style. Boys, yeah, more, exactly. Mardi Gras beads. Uh, you know, Boise State with the turnover thrown. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, that that's the thing. You know, I know people kind of think that this stuff has has jumped the shark and is ridiculous now, and and they're probably right. Um, but I I think uh, you know, 
I, I kind of love how much people hate it, and I kind of love how much people are trying to come up with something that no one's ever seen before. And as stupid as they are, um, you know, the kids obviously love it. So it's that's been for me. That's been fun to follow, even though I think a lot of people are over it. I, I still think it's great. Well, I appreciate that. You know, even though people probably have grown tired of it, that I think the chainsaw is is a funny adaptation, even all this time later, because <laughs> it started as a chain, right? So just make a chainsaw. It's, it's I think it's a exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then a, I think it was like creative. I think Arizona State they were doing like um, they're having their guy doing like a little bit of weightlifting on the on the field after getting his um, turnover gains. So you know <laughs> it's uh, it's ridiculous, but that's that's one of the reasons why we love the sport. You know. All right, well put, Max. I appreciate you. Jumping out with me today, that's all I got for you. Uh, looking forward to another fun weekend of college football and may it be as wacky and weird as we saw this past weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. Enjoy. Yeah, appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Sounds good. All right. All right, thanks once again to Max for joining me. Really enjoyed talking to him. Really enjoy all my conversations with folks from The Athletic. Do a lot of great work over there. So like I mentioned in the show, subscription, in my opinion, is worth your while if you haven't subscribed already. All right, moving on now to our weekly StatHead segment with Harold Shelton. As I mentioned at the top of the show, StatHead is a segment we do during college football and basketball season with our in-house researcher, Harold. He gets us ready for the upcoming week, breaks down the previous week of action, and does it in a way that dives behind the numbers into Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball as we move along the basketball season, and he's somebody that uh, we love hearing from every week. So we'll get into that. Stathead segment with Harold Shelton. Discussion with H starts right now. All right, very pleased to be joined by BTN researcher Harold Shelton once again here in the studio. H, we're back for our weekly Stathead segment, and we came off kind of a light week in the Big Ten Conference, but there was a marquee game Saturday night between Wisconsin and Iowa. Let's dive right into that. Um, first off, though, I'd be rude not to ask, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. You know, uh, Glad we got a light week this week. We had a light week last week. Kind of getting my feet under me now. Yeah, and catch your breath a little bit. And like I said, we'll get right into that Wisconsin-Iowa matchup under the lights at Kinnick Stadium. We know what Iowa can do under those lights and how dangerous they can be. Wisconsin got out of there with a 28-17 win. It was definitely closer than the final score indicated because Wisconsin got kind of an insurance touchdown there at the end. But what did you see out of that game for both teams, especially you know with Iowa – having an opportunity to get in that driver's seat in the Western Division and Wisconsin needing to bounce back from a really shocking loss at home the week prior. Yeah, so I thought it was a, it was a gut check drive for Wisconsin. I mean, obviously you had all of the expectations, you know. This is the year for them to break through and make the playoff. This is the year for them to win the Big Ten for the first time since 2012. You know, all of that is on the line as they're 88 yards away from the end zone in the final five minutes. And the much maligned Alex Hornibrook comes through, is literally perfect on that final drive, leads them down, gets a score, keeps all their hopes and dreams alive that were there to start the season. Um, I thought that the run defense was a little better than it was against BYU. I still think they have some issues overall, but they had to have this game because if they would have lost, Iowa would have had a complete stranglehold on the division. Uh, I wouldn't say Wisconsin's out of the woods by any stretch. They still have games at Michigan and Penn State, but this was a much-needed win for the Badgers. For me, it was kind of the redemption, at least a mini-redemption for Alex Hornibrook. You mentioned how he's perfect on that last drive, and it was something he couldn't do in Indy eight or nine months ago when they needed that drive uh, against Ohio State. So it's just interesting to see that. Maybe it gives them some confidence going forward as you mentioned they're not out of the woods and have some big games coming up if they do want to make this a special season. Exactly. All right, moving on now. Um, I always want to get your thoughts on the Spartans, take the pulse of that program because you pay close attention to them being an alum. And they are still in the top 25. They've kind of gone under the radar a little bit since dropping that game at Arizona State. Such a late-night game, I feel like a lot of people didn't even see it. So where are you at on Michigan State? They went into Bloomington, got a win in Indiana. Like I said, remain a top 25 team. Is there any indicators out of that program that make you feel better than maybe you were – the first few weeks of the season? Uh, the run defense, I definitely think, is legit. Um, you always kind of wonder those first couple of weeks. You know, you play spread teams that like to throw it around. But, you know, Indiana, I know their competition wasn't great, but they had at least run for 200 yards in every game, and they completely shut Indiana down, held them under 30 yards rushing. 
So it was good to see like the the D line really come to play. They actually got a pass rush, which they were missing against Arizona State. So that was good to see. Uh, offensively, though, they still got major issues. I think the the running backs that they had in the game, their longest run was six yards. That just can't happen when you're playing Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan coming up. Um, the work he still, for as talented as he is, he still has trouble uh, holding on to the ball. You know, a couple of bad picks, you know, bad option read. So it's kind of give and take with him. Uh, I think they get better as they go along. So I'm hoping to see some more progression before they get to State College on the 13th. But they still have a lot of work to do. Yes, yeah, so you're still on the fence a little bit, but a fan base that has to be feeling quite a bit better than they were a week ago is Purdue. Posted a really nice 30 to 13 win over a top 25 Boston College team. Don't expect you to, you know, tell me how much like gas cost or what the number one movie was the last time Purdue had a top 25 win. I think it was in 2011. Mm-hmm. But to me, this is kind of a course correction for for that program this season after those three tough losses. Just a sign of the rebuild. It's still probably on track for them to be able to pull off a win like that. They're not in danger now of going. I saw some disastrous projections after they started 0-3, like that would play out having them 0-5, 0-6, 0-7. So now that they've kind of course-corrected a little bit, what does that win mean to you as you're kind of evaluating year two under Jeff Brown? That's a – I mean, I can't put into words how impressed I was by Purdue. The fact that you lose three games by eight points all at home and you know you could have won all three, it's very easy for college kids to go in the tank. Jeff Brown had those dudes ready to play – and they jumped all over BC. You couldn't tell which team was ranked if you didn't know before the game. Like, Purdue completely outplayed them. And I was more impressed with the defense. I mean, we know David Blau had the great game against Missouri. He followed that up with another great game against BC, but it was the defense. You know, multiple, four sacks, four turnovers. I mean, Boston College is one of the best running backs in the nation. He didn't do anything. So I was very, very impressed with Purdue. Very impressed with the coaching staff, getting those guys ready to play. And, you know, they're kind of back on track and they're favored this week. Yeah, the defense was a concern for sure for them, but it's nice to see them having a rebound game. And and like you said, in football it's a sport that things can get out of hand really easily if guys give up. And it's maybe easier for guys to give up and fold than it is in other sports just because it's such a physical game and just the nature of the game, how it lends itself to, to packing it in. And I know there's been whispers at another program of guys maybe not buying in completely to either what the coach is preaching or, you know, you got guys that are veterans. And that's at Nebraska after we heard what uh, offensive lineman Tanner Farmer had to say a couple weeks back after their loss. And as we saw in their performance against Michigan, uh, things are still not going well in their first few games under Scott Frost. So after coming off a 56-10 to blowout in Ann Arbor, what's your – take on how things are going there is this to be expected just because of you know, the, the turnover the talent that's not there yet that Scott Frost hopes to bring in are you worried that it goes deeper than that or is this just a, a rocky start that you know really was from the opening kick with that rain out against Akron I think there's some you know foundational issues there uh not necessarily with Frost it's just in terms of what he inherited I mean again this was a defense that was one of the worst in the country that he took over. And he actually made them look competent the first two weeks. Uh, they just ran up against a buzzsaw in Michigan uh, last week. I was, I was definitely surprised at how successful Michigan was able to run the ball against them because it seemed like the first two weeks, you know, they were very aggressive and shutting down the run and getting after the quarterback, and they couldn't do either one of those things uh, this past week. I will say I was surprised that they played Adrian Martinez. I felt like I would have held him out until he was 100%. It sounded like he wasn't uh, coming into this game, like he was well enough to play. But against that D-line, knowing your limitations is asking a lot for a true freshman who's not fully healthy to uh, go in there and get a win. So, uh, I mean, all is not lost, but, you know, you don't want to be 0-4. You don't want to, you know, come home and lose to Purdue. That's a winnable game. Uh, so if <laughs> you definitely want to get that one if you can. Yeah, and flipping it now, looking at Michigan, I know we kind of talk about this every week, like, what does Michigan have to show to prove that they're a contender again? I know there's skepticism there because they do this every year, and then once they get in the big game, it's a different story. Anything that you've seen so far to kind of change that 
opinion viewers are just going to have to wait for a few weeks until they run up against that uh, gauntlet in the middle of the season there? October 13th against Wisconsin. Uh, so that's what I'm waiting to see. Um, again, you know, I, I, one thing I will say under Jim Harbaugh, they absolutely pound unranked teams, like just completely kill them. And I will say I'm very – I was surprised at how, how well Michigan ran the ball against Nebraska because, again, they, Nebraska looked much better against the run the first two weeks. And Michigan just completely did whatever they wanted. I mean, that was no contest. The game was over in the first 10 minutes. Uh, but, again, I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens. You know, they played three straight games at home, kind of got their feet underneath them. Now they're going to start facing some tougher competition. And, you know, we'll see if, you know, Higdon and Evans in that run game can continue to thrive. And if they can't, it'll be up to Shea Patterson to make plays. In game one, they weren't able to do that, and so I just kind of want to wait and see when they play a really good defense. All right, fair enough. And before we move on to this upcoming weekend, we have to talk about what Dwayne Haskins is doing because it's a remarkable start he's off to. I think he had five more touchdowns this past weekend against Tulane. Obviously not the best competition with the green wave uh, in Columbus, you know, getting blown out like they expected to. But that doesn't take away anything, I don't think, from what Haskins is doing, especially in limited time because they're always winning by so much that they pull them out. So just give me some numbers to put in perspective the type of start he's gotten off to historically within the Big Ten and just amongst his peers. So, I mean, the fact that he was able to, to go 21 of 24 for 304 and five touchdowns and a half is ridiculous in itself. I mean, he's over 75% completion. Uh, before I get into like all of the, the crazy numbers that he's putting up, I've just been impressed that he doesn't lock on to a guy. Like Every game they've had a different leading receiver in terms of receiving yards. Whether it's Paris Campbell last week, it's K.J. Hill against TCU, you know, it's uh, Johnny Dixon against Rutgers, I mean, Terry McLaurin. Like, he's spreading it out to everybody. And it just goes to show you when you have a quarterback who can stretch the field, or with a bunch of wide receivers that can just go make plays, they just become so much more difficult to guard. But in terms of the historic stuff, I mean, keep in mind, this is his first year as a starter. Like He hadn't started a game before, you know, August 31st or whatever the date was. And he's already the third Ohio State guy with multiple five uh, touchdown pass games already. And he had 16 touchdown passes through four games, which is the second most ever by a Big Ten player. Just one pick. And just one pick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good ratio. Not bad. And, <laughs> you know, definitely want to keep an eye on him this upcoming weekend as he faces his toughest test yet, most likely, against Penn State. And before we even get into that game, I just want to ask, is this like the lightest week you remember? I can't remember a game, a weekend where we had only five games on the schedule. Is this, like, this has got to be one of the lightest ones, I feel It definitely like. seems lighter than normal. And uh, I think we've got five teams on a bye and a non-conference game. So the fact that it's so light is definitely interesting to me. But it makes it even more fun because we could just dive right into Ohio State and Penn State. There's nothing else on at night in our league. So we could just put all of our attention on that big one. Yeah, so let's go ahead into that game and that matchup for a few minutes here. And I want to start by just getting into the history between these two programs, the recent history, when Urban Meyer and James Franklin have been at the respective helms there. There's been some really entertaining games, and I know last time Ohio State went to uh, Happy Valley. Uh, it was kind of that program-defining win for James Franklin and Penn State. Last year it looked like Penn State could maybe go undefeated and roll through their schedule. They got off to that great start in Columbus, and Penn State, an- or then Ohio State answered, and, and JT Barrett was the hero on that one. So if you can kind of get into – the, the history and and not that it'll have much of an impact this upcoming weekend, but just how it might project, you know, um, going forward here. Yeah, so I mean, so Urban Meyer has been at Ohio State since what 2012, and he's lost three Big Ten regular season games. One to Franklin, as you said, you know, Mark D'Antonio and Kirk Ferentz. Those are the only times that he's lost. But he could very easily be one in three against Penn State. Like that's how close these games have been. You know, Franklin's first year in 2014, Penn State's a huge underdog. They get Ohio State on the ropes. Buckeyes have to win in double OT, and that's the year that they won a national championship. Then we talked about the 2016 game. We talked about last year. So, like, this rivalry has, has been very, very good, very competitive. And, you know, it, it extends beyond just the field. I mean, these guys are going after the same players. They're both a top five, top ten recruiting classes every year. So, 
we're going to see a lot more of these types of matchups as long as these coaches are still there. So that's what makes it even more fun. So when you look at these 2018 versions of these programs, what do you see that differentiates one from the other? Obviously, two great offenses. They are number one and two in scoring, you mentioned uh, before we sat down here. I know they're top ten in the country in efficiency. What do you see from you know maybe the defensive side of the ball or even on the offensive side that differentiates these programs and who has the advantage? So Ohio State, I would definitely say, is more of a vertical pass. that They have the edge when it comes to vertical passing. You know, Haskins with the big arm, with all of those receivers. Penn State likes to do it on the ground. And it's, you know, it's Miles Sanders. It's Ricky Slade and it's Trace himself. I mean, Trace has been a huge threat on the ground. Uh, I know entering the Illinois game, uh, he was leading the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns. And, you know, he probably added to that, you know, this past weekend. So I would say offensively they both get it done, but just in different ways. Defensively, I'm very curious to see how Penn State will stop that Ohio State rushing attack. You know, we've seen Pitt run for over 200 yards. We saw Illinois run for over 200 yards. So I would say that the edge in the front seven would go to Ohio State. But we've seen Ohio State give up a ton of big plays. You know, they've given up 11 plays with 30 yards or more already. Only records is allowed more in the conference. So both teams have, you know, really good strengths, but there are some weaknesses that both of those offenses could exploit. Yeah, I think for me it's, goes to the level of vulnerability each team has displayed so far. Ohio State, the only vulnerability they've shown was against TCU, and they went down in that game briefly, and they responded. Uh, the defense responded with some, some big plays and big scoring plays to carry them in that one. And if you look at Penn State, they almost lost to Appalachian State. I think, you know, as we get kind of farther away from that game, people forget how really close that was, oh, yeah. at least from wow. the outside looking in. Penn State fans might uh, <laughs> tell a different story as far as, you know, they, they probably know how close they came and recognized that fully. But then again, you look last weekend at uh, Illinois leading them in the third quarter before Penn State woke up and blew the doors off Illinois. So they've kind of shown some shakiness in two games against inferior opponents that Ohio State really hasn't shown. But you consider that this is in Happy Valley, this is a night game, it's a whiteout. We've seen how that place gets for atmospheres like a game like this uh, demand. And it's, you know, I think going to at least provide a little bit of an advantage. I don't know if that's something that can be quantified statistically, but it's. I have to imagine it's at least a, a little bit of an advantage just being at home. Yeah, no, no doubt. And as we talked about in that 2014 game, that was a whiteout at night. They were a huge underdog. Like nobody thought that game would be close, and they sent it to double OT. 2016 night out. I mean whiteout night game. Same thing. You know, Ohio State's leading most of the way. That atmosphere gets Penn State back in the game. They block the field goal. They take it back to get the program-defining win. So we've seen, you know, that atmosphere, that stadium at night. You know how we always talk about Kinnick at night. It's mm. the same thing in State College. I mean, it is a tough, tough, tough place to play. All right, can't wait to settle in Saturday night. You gonna be here? Oh yeah. All, all right, day. settle in for some. Uh, you know, maybe they'll have Lou Malnati's this time. Maybe they'll have, I don't know, pinstripes, the box dinners or whatever. Either way, can't wait to settle in and watch that one in a few days here. Before I let you go, H, did want to touch on one more matchup coming up this weekend, and that's Michigan at Northwestern. And Northwestern got some unfortunate news yesterday when their starting running back, Jeremy Larkin, was forced to retire due to a uh, spinal condition and a neck condition that, you know, could put his life at risk if he mm-hmm. didn't retire from the game so that's unfortunate to hear Northwestern also has had a rough start to the season so far at one and two come off a of bye week well Michigan has kind of turned on the the offense turned on the afterburners a little bit as they're coasting through this part of the schedule so H what do you look at out of uh, this matchup what are you looking for from each team as they've kind of gone on divergent paths here yeah, I guess for the on the Northwestern side, even before the Larkin news, I was always wondering how the quarterback rotation would play out. You know, we've heard that, you know, it's kind of up to the doctors to decide how much Clayton Thorson can play until he's 100%. And apparently he was, you know, 80 85% entering the Akron game. Now he's got the bye week, so you, you think with an extra two weeks, is he 100%? Is he ready to play? Does he have the full playbook as, at his disposal? With Larkin out, there's even more pressure on that position, whether that's him or T.J. Green, to make plays downfield with their arm, but is also with their legs. And we know Thorson was a guy 
who could run the ball, especially in the red zone. He had 18 rushing touchdowns in his career. And you take that part of the game away because of the injury, you know, they were extremely one-dimensional. Now you lose your best offensive weapon. I'm really curious to see how this Northwestern offense will play. But, again, Michigan's going on the road for the first time since the Notre Dame loss. You know, everybody's telling them how great they are. You know, this could be a classic, you know, letdown situation where, you know, Michigan might come out flat to still get the win, but it could wind up being a much closer game than people think. All right, so despite having Ohio State, Penn State demanding most of our attention, we'll definitely keep an eye on Michigan Northwestern, Purdue Nebraska, like we said, and the other games that are playing out, the other two playing out that this upcoming weekend. So gone for almost 20 minutes. I think that's a new record. Yeah, I think so. You know, a lot of good stuff for to all talk, talk about. Yeah, for all the talk about the light slate coming up and some of the, uh, the absence of drama last weekend, we sure, you know, Got into it a little bit, got into the meat and potatoes, and I'm sure we'll continue to as the season rolls along here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Always look forward to it. All right. Same time, same place next week? Yes, sir. All right, man. Thanks for joining me. No problem. All right. Thanks once again to H and Max for joining me. Always value Herald Insight, and we always enjoy talking to our national guests as well. And Max did a great job, as my guests always do each week here on the Take 10 Podcast. Looking forward to a big one this weekend in Penn State and Ohio State. I know we talked about it at length here. Uh, hopefully it reflected the significance of what is a game that could determine the Big Ten East, could determine the national college football playoff picture, and should be a lot of fun to watch regardless. So before we sign off here, I just want to give a shout-out to my producer, Julie Bronder. She's doing a great job filling in for Wes White, who uh, Wes has been on paternity leave and actually brought his newborn son into the office today. So had the whole office... Uh, transfixed on his little baby boy cutest guy ever and probably a future badger tight end or power forward because the the dude is big for his age so shout out Wes shout out Julie and shout out Colleen Degnan as well who was helping me out this season um, with producing the podcast and getting everything ready and a big help as well and of course thanks to everyone out there for listening having a lot of fun doing this as we roll through college football season here it's going really fast hope you guys are enjoying listening as much as I'm enjoying talking every week about the sport about the personalities and about the games and we'll talk to you next week here on the take 10 podcast